What to look for in a spouse? Um, I know that might seem like an interesting title coming from a single guy, uh, from someone who's never been married, someone uh, in my situation. I'll be honest with you. Every time I speak, when I do, about marriage or raising kids, having a family, anything like that, uh, there's a hesitancy in my mind to say much. Because in my mind, I think, why would anyone ever listen to me speak about marriage? I mean, I'm single. Why would anyone listen to me speak about how to raise kids? You don't have any. Um, And there's that real thought in my brain. And what I have to remind myself is that these are not my words. This is not just my experience. Uh, But this truth comes from God. It's interesting to note that the people who said the most about marriage and raising a family were single. You ever thought about that? Paul the Apostle, single. Jesus, single. I say that not because I'm comparing myself to Paul or Jesus this morning, but to say I hope you won't tune me out this morning just because of my life situation. Uh, Because I believe God has a lot to say on this subject and maybe we're quiet on it. And we should talk about it a lot more often. And so this morning we're talking about what to look for in a spouse. Uh, The Oklahoman published an article in September of 2021, and it said, where is Oklahoma at in all these different areas? And one of them was about marriage. And they said Oklahoma ranks 18th in marriage rate in the United States. Out of of every 1,000 residents, they average uh, 6.3 marriages. But out of all the United States... Oklahoma ranks second in divorce. Over half of that marriage rate is in the number of divorce, and it's included in the divorce rate. When we speak of marriage and issues surrounding it, it's, there are a lot of issues in our country surrounding marriage and its ideas and divorce and raising kids, but not just in our country. Right here in our very backyard, this is a problem, and it's an issue. Now, what's interesting about that is the divorce rate since 1990 has split in half. You would think that means we're doing really well, right? We split in half. It's actually not the case. What's happened is nobody's getting married anymore. The greatest number that's growing is non-married. That younger generations, generations like myself, probably the one coming up behind me and the one ahead of me, have decided to go other ways. They've decided cohabitation. They've decided to engage in hookup culture. They have decided to avoid marriage altogether, maybe because they're the generation who grew up in broken homes. I grew up in a broken home. My parents split when I was a teenager. And I can tell you there's a big fear of divorce and the children of those who have been divorced. I don't share any of that to shame anybody this morning who's been through a divorce. I know that when you got married, it was never your intent or desire to separate No one ever got married and said, I'm looking forward to the divorce. At least I don't think so. That wasn't your plan. That wasn't the vision I know that you had for your life when you got married. That wasn't what you thought was coming ahead. I don't say this to shame you. Um, I know that wasn't your intention, but it is a reality. And I I believe we all can agree here this morning, divorce was never God's intention. Divorce was not God's idea for how covenants should end. God wanted a man and a woman to be together for life. And I know not every story the same, and there are situations that God speaks on in the Bible. That's not our point this morning. But divorce is an issue. And how we 
solve this issue because it's not that we better solve this or else something's coming. It's already here. You know, the, ble- the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time, today. This issue needed to be talked about a lot 20 years ago, and maybe it was and it still happened. But it has to be talked about today, and we can do a lot of things to help this problem, like marriage seminars and retreats and counseling, and we should do those. But I think even more than that, we have to play some prevent defense. Do my sports fans know what I'm talking about here? Like, we have to get out ahead of this thing. I believe one great thing we could do is talk about what you should even look for in a spouse, to teach marriage and what it's about and its purpose to people who are not married yet. We have got to share this to our younger generations because if we don't, this cycle continues and continues. Um, This issue is not only in our community outside of us. This issue is in the church. Churches are filled with the same issues and the same problems that we're seeing in our culture. So we have to start early. And this morning as we look at what we should look for in a spouse, understand this will not be all-encompassing. This will not be every characteristic you should look for. Here's reason one, two, three, four, all the way to 70. I don't know if there are 70 reasons in Scripture, but we don't have the time, and I don't have the knowledge for that this morning. But what we're going to do is look at one passage of Scripture and pull out two big things to note about what we should search for in a spouse. And before we do, some of you are thinking, do I even need to listen to this? I'm already married. Um, can I encourage each and every one of you to listen? I'll give you a few, a few reasons why. Teenagers. To my friends who are sitting probably in that back row and the few who are spread out, you are quickly approaching the stage of your life where you will make this decision. This is the most important decision you will ever make outside of following Jesus. I, this is the most important decision you will ever make outside of following Jesus. Please take God's counsel into consideration. You're at this moment, some of you are dating you're, you're starting these relationships. You're interested. Before you jump into these commitments, take God into consideration. To the young adults out there, like myself, single young adults, say, obviously this is for us. If we're interested in getting married, if that's a desire of ours, let's listen to what God has to say. Remember, our goal is not to get married. Our goal is to be married. Our goal is to stay married. Our goal is to glorify God in our relationship, not just have one. That's not the goal. To... My married friends, it's too late to change. (laughs) That's not what this is about this morning. And you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me then. I've already found my spouse. Uh, Maybe one thing you could do this morning is as we study this, say, am I being the kind of spouse that God would want me to search for? After you say your vows, you know there's still some obligations, right? There's still some characteristics that you need to uphold And so maybe look at it as saying, am I being the right kind of person? Not just instead of, because we'll talk about who we're looking for. But am I being that? Parents, what you teach and show, because you teach by what you say, but also by what you show. What you teach to your kids about this subject is crucial. The kind of marriage you show to your kids will play a big part in their marriage to come. If that is the Lord's will for your kids. Um, So when it comes to raising your children, don't ignore the subject of marriage with them. Don't let them just figure it out. Be proactive and teach them about what to look for in a spouse. And I pray you'll use some of these things we're going to notice. And then to my friends out there who are divorced, I am sorry that life 
did not work out maybe the way you planned it. I imagine you get married, you have this vision of where life is going to go, and in a moment it seems it just changes. I'm sorry, and I know this might bring up some feelings for you, but can I tell you, you have a powerful opportunity to witness to this truth that's found in Scripture as a divorced person. Whether you were guilty or innocent in your marriage, whether you were the good one, the bad one, or anything in between, you have an opportunity to teach this with your own life experience to younger generations, to your children, and to others, and say, this is real. This isn't just something God says. You should really take this into consideration when you look for someone to marry. And so, are we all on the same page this morning? You ready to jump into it? Turn to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31. There's a passage in the book of Proverbs here that we talk about a Proverbs 31 woman. You see it a lot on Mother's Day. Maybe I'm stealing a text for someone's Mother's Day sermon coming up. I apologize. Um, and we speak about the great women in our life. And we use this passage, godly women, godly wives and mothers and just the women that exhibit godly characteristics and attitudes. And King, I don't even know how to say his name. It says it's written by King Lemuel, maybe is, is how you say that. I, my hick accent's coming out. I don't know. But some people surmise this is maybe a pet name for Solomon, that Solomon's actually one writing. Some people disagree. Regardless, this is God-inspired words. And he speaks about this wonderful wife. He calls her excellent in verse 11. We're going to look at this passage and see some characteristics about her that apply to both man and woman, to a husband or to a wife, that what we should look for in a spouse. If she's excellent, is there anything we can take from her life or her story that maybe we can apply in our search for a spouse? And so two points this morning. Number one, when it comes to looking for a spouse, look for a spouse who is beautiful. Spiritually. Look for a spouse who is beautiful spiritually. Look at verse 30 with me. He says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Did you see what he said about physical beauty and looks? Charm, your elegance of form, the physical appearance of this woman is what he's referring to. He says, It's deceitful. It lies to you. It's not what you think it is, maybe. I used to lump this phrase with the beauty is vain part and just said they're synonymous, they mean the same thing. It might be, though, that when he says charm is deceitful, that it's a mirage or it fades over time. It might be what he's really referring to is also just because they're beautiful on the outside does not mean they're beautiful on the inside. We talked about this in our class a few weeks ago with the tongue. Have you ever met someone that you thought was really attractive and then they opened their mouth? Right? You open, they opened their mouth, they started to talk. I don't mean their teeth. I just mean when they talked. And you said, well, they're not as attractive as I thought they were. Maybe the idea is charm is deceitful because you get wrapped up in this outside appearance and you overlook some very important qualities in the middle because he says it's deceitful and beauty is vain. It's fleeting. It's temporary. It does not last. We know this, right? How you look at 16 is not how you're going to look when you're 30. How you look when you're 30 is not what you're going to look like when you're 50 or when you're 70. Beauty fades. It is temporary. And so what he's saying is there are some more important characteristics or qualities for you to take into consideration. 
Um, This physical appearance that you might put a lot of stock into, he says, that stock will likely crash one day. But there's something that won't. And he points to the inner beauty of his wife. That second part of that phrase, a woman who fears the Lord is worthy to be praised. In the beginning of Proverbs, the purpose statement, Solomon says in verse 7 of chapter 1, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So as he says here, a woman who fears the Lord, we see a woman that's praiseworthy because she has a high view of God. She listens to the wisdom and instruction of God, and she lives it out in her life. And he says, that's worthy to be praised. And I I share this point with you this morning of look for spiritual beauty because most of our world is more concerned with physical beauty. Are they not? People are looking for priority number one in their spouse. And they won't say this often. They'll say, oh, I'm looking for things more important than how they look outside. But typically they, they get blinded by just how attractive someone is to their eyes. This verse goes against the thought of the day. It goes against the ideas that are pushed upon our younger generation. Satan has done a fantastic job at getting us to believe his lies about beauty and about sex and about relationships and about intimacy The word love and lust are different words, but they are synonymous in our culture. Have you noticed that? We say, I love you, or we say, I love something. And what we mean is, you satisfy or please my desires. That's not love. That's lust. Love is a covenant. There is covenant love. That is a commitment. That is not lust. Um, That's not what binds together Uh, binds people together for life and marriage. Lust isn't going to cut it, friends. It's going to take a lot more than lust. It's going to take a lot more than that to have a successful marriage. And so generations are being raised thinking that physical beauty and attraction is the big key. And at the same time, they have false ideas about what sex, beauty, and relationships even are because our society is hyper-sexualized. Aren't we living in a hyper-sexualized society where sex is king? I mean, think about the ads you see on TV. Every single, every other one is sexualized. Whether it's for clothing, a car, or potato chips, somehow it's sexualized. doesn't matter. They find a way. Um, you, can't walk, you can't watch TV or walk through a mall without seeing something. Our social media is filled with sexualized content. Hookup culture is the culture. In 2023, dating is now boiled down to get an app and you swipe left or right based on how attractive someone's picture is. Does it really matter about their character? Or I don't really need to get to know them. I might find them great. It's just, do I think they're pretty? Will they please me? Left, no, right, yes. That's our culture. That's how people are dating now. I know some of you are thinking, ugh, I'm so glad I'm not dating in 2023. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You had to talk to people. How's that work? You had to meet them in real life. That's crazy. What a thought. Um, Our generations are being raised in an environment where pornography is accessible everywhere at any moment. I have, you know, you and I have the ability to look at porn any any moment of any day with the internet. It's not going to a store. It's It's much more accessible. And these things warp. This fake fiction fantasy drug warps the minds of young people, warps their desires. And does that surprise us that in a society that's hyper sexualized, that's bought into the lies about Everything regarding it struggles with marriage, divorce, raising children, sexual identity, and you name it. 
we have a problem. And part of it might be because we have the wrong priorities when it comes to finding a spouse. We're thinking, who's going to please me physically? And we're not looking further than that. Physical beauty might be the first thing we notice, but it shouldn't be the main thing we notice. Listen, this morning, I'm not telling you go find someone ugly. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you're attracted to them, that's a bad sign. Don't find someone you're attracted to. No, obviously we're humans and you're going to look at someone and there's going to be some type of attraction there. My point is, don't let that be the end all of your search. Don't start and stop there. Because there are far more issues that are more important when it comes to finding a spouse. How attractive is that person spiritually? You know, do they fear the Lord? Do they seek out His wisdom? Because that's not deceitful or vain. Spiritual beauty lasts. It's not something that fades. And so instead of focusing on just physical chemistry, focus on spiritual and emotional compatibility. Uh, marriage was not designed for our happiness. We often look for someone and we think, who's going to make me happy? But the truth is marriage was designed for our holiness. It's a covenant relationship that, of course, we do make each other happy. But more than that, and most importantly, we help each other be holy and become more like Christ as we walk in His ways. That's what marriage was intended to be. And maybe part of the reason many people are having bad marriages is because they don't have the understanding that marriage is not about just pleasing yourself. There's someone else involved, and there's someone else involved. It's more than that. It's a covenant. And so look for qualities and characteristics that aren't deceitful and fading. Notice in this passage some of the verses that speak to this woman's spiritual beauty. Verse 11 and 12 says, He trusts her, she does him good and not harm all the days. Verse 13, she works with willing hands. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and maidens. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Verse 20, She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. Verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. And then lastly, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and kindness is on her tongue. This is a beautiful woman, far beyond just how she looks physically. She shows godly character and action. She's kind. She's thoughtful. She's a good steward. She's a servant. She gives herself to her role that God has given to her. She is beautiful spiritually. She's faithful to God. She fears Him. She seeks His instruction. We should be looking for those kind of qualities in a spouse. When it comes to looking for a spouse, ask yourselves, do they love God? Do they have a heart for Him? Not, did they put Christian on their dating profile? Do they really have a love for God and have a heart for Him? Do they give themselves to God's calling? Do they seek God's wisdom and instruction in their life? Do they show the fruit of the Spirit? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness exhibited in their life? Charm is deceitful. Beauty fades. But spiritual beauty doesn't. So look beyond the physical when looking for a spouse. Whether that's you or it's whether it's you teaching your children or other people that message. Characteristic number two. Or what to look for number two. Look for a spouse who is trustworthy. Verse 11 If you want to read it with me one more time. He said, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. 
As he speaks on his excellent wife, the first statement he essentially makes is she's trustworthy. And the reason why is, well, maybe the next line. He does her good and not harm all the days of her life. And as you read the rest of this proverb, you can see why she's trustworthy. She exhibits trustworthiness and faithfulness throughout her life in many ways. She does him good and not harm all the days. Whether it was her actions or words, how she handled her money or her responsibilities as a mother, in numerous ways he highlights her character. She's trustworthy. What a blessing it is to be married to somebody that you can trust. I hope there's more amens than that for all my married people. It's a ble- shouldn't it be a blessing to marry someone you can trust? Someone that you don't have to worry about how they're going to act around other people or when you're not around them. Or that you don't have to be worried constantly about what they're going to teach your children. You can trust them. That's a, that's a blessing. And that's important because marriage is a relationship built on trust. It's the foundation. You get up there and you say these vows. You know, I promise or I vow Does that mean much if you don't trust the person you're standing across from looking in the eye? I promise to be faithful to you and to you alone. I don't believe you for a second. (laughs) You need to find someone who's trustworthy because vows don't mean much and promises and covenants do not mean much if you are not trustworthy. If you're going to make a lifelong commitment based on trust and faithfulness, look for somebody who exhibits those in their life. I understand you're not going to find a perfect person. I'm not going to walk into Starbucks and find Mrs. Wright. She's not going to be perfect 100%. Or no one's going to walk and see me and see Jesus. I'm not Jesus. Not perfect. But you can find someone who will make a wonderful, godly spouse. They might not be perfect, but neither are you. Neither am I. But you can find if someone's trustworthy. You can see it in their life. You won't know everything. And of course, sometimes in life people change. They go off in different directions. Um, you know, they, they uh, choose to be unfaithful. Things happen. I understand that. But you should look for somebody who exhibits trustworthiness and faithfulness before you say, I do. If your potential spouse struggles to be honest, that might be a red flag. If your potential spouse, if, if they seem shady, if they lie, if they're manipulative, that might be a red flag. And before you say, I do forever, you might want to think about that. Um, And maybe this ties into the first point of this is why we should look and value spiritual characteristics far more than the physical. Because beauty and charm fades, but those characteristics don't. Christian, can I encourage you to marry a Christian? Can I encourage you to do that? I know some people have married those who are non-Christians and it worked out great. Maybe they won their spouse, they became a Christian, or they're still not a Christian, but they have a marriage that's faithful to one another. That's great, I understand. But Christian, can I encourage you to marry a Christian, to find someone who's faithfully living for Jesus alongside you? Because if they can live faithfully to Jesus, the likelihood is, well, they're more likely to live faithfully to you as well. Marriage will have ups and downs. It helps to have somebody in those ups and downs who sees life and sees marriage the way Jesus does and the way you do. It's a blessing to have that and to have someone who understands that your marriage is a covenant about holiness, not about happiness. That's not going to change every time their feelings fluctuate. And so find someone who's faithful. Find a Christian. Plus, with a Christian, you can share every part of your life together. Isn't, this the, isn't our spiritual life the best part of us? Isn't a Christian what it's all about? 
it's wonderful to have someone who shares that with you, who has that eternal purpose you have. So, find a Christian. Find someone who's trustworthy and faithful. That's not all-encompassing this morning, but those are two characteristics I believe you see in this text. There's others. She's not self-centered. She was a servant. That's a principle. And there are a few others. But those two, I believe, stick out. And I hope you'll think about that when it comes to your time or my time, Lord willing, to find a spouse. Um, As we start to close, I believe there are two big questions that every single person, especially every single Christian, should ask when it comes to getting married. The first one is this. Will this person help me get to heaven? If you don't ask that question, it's, it's not wise. Will this person help me get to heaven? Will they encourage me to be faithful? Or will they push me away? Will they encourage me to be involved in the church? Or will they push me away? Will they encourage me to follow God's standards? Or will they want me to live to a different standard? Will this person help me get to heaven? Question number two. Will this person help me raise godly children? If it's in God's will, and so, and if you choose, and, and you're able, and I understand not everyone is, but if you're able to have, God, to have children, a question you should ask, will this person help me raise godly children? Will they want to teach my son or my daughter about Jesus the way I do from an early age? Will they want to take him to church? Will they want to have the same moral standards I have? Do they believe about eternity and the temporary? Will they help me raise godly children? I'll tell you, my eight years as a, as a youth minister, it's, it's not true every time, but in the, in the students I had that really struggled with faith, a lot of them had parents who believed completely different things when it came to God. Some didn't believe in God at all. Some were super on fire. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody who might be in that situation. I'm just telling you, think about that before you get married. Will this person help me raise godly children? Because if you're playing tug-of-war on all these situations of raising your child, that's it's going to affect your child, isn't it? And so will this person help me raise godly children? I, those are two questions you need to ask. Um, this is the most important decision we'll ever make outside of becoming a Christian. We should take God's counsel into consideration. Um, You'll never find a perfect person, but you can find someone who's beautiful spiritually and trustworthy. I believe it. And you can find someone who can help walk with you to heaven and help you bring your your kids there with you. Uh, I'll say one last thing to my friends, like me, who are not married, who who desire to, to be married and have kids one day. It's better to wait for the right one than to marry the wrong one. I know you feel like you're missing out. I know you feel like you're le- you've been left behind. I know you're the bridesmaid at every wedding. You're just waiting on your time. It is far better to be patient and to wait than to be impatient and regret it. Be patient. Let the Lord work. Let Him figure it out. Um, the goal is not to have a relationship or just to get married. The goal is to be in a covenant of holiness that glorifies God. Remember your goal. Um, I'll leave you with this. We've talked a lot this morning about looking for the right person. Maybe the question for all of us is, are we being the right person? If I'm not married while I wait, am I working on myself trying to be the husband or father I want to be one day? Am I working on that character? If I'm married today, 
because I can't go find me another spouse. That's not how this works. But am I being the kind of spouse that God would want someone to search for, that my wife or my husband deserves? It's something to think about this morning with what we've talked on. This sermon doesn't lend itself to an invitation to become a Christian per se. But if you haven't committed yourself in a covenant with God and become a Christian, married yourself to Jesus, we'd love to help you with that today. But it might also be this morning that your marriage is struggling. Maybe it's you, maybe it's just both of you, it's something's going on, but it's struggling, you feel like it's on its last legs. That might not be something you want to come forward publicly and say, if you do, we will wrap our arms around you. I'm not in a marriage, but I can understand, it has to be incredibly hard. It's not easy. But we would love to love on you this morning. We want to help you in any way. Maybe it's privately, just talking to one of us in the back. We want to help you with your marriage. It might be that you want prayers to be a better husband, a better father, a better mother, a better wife. Um, It might be that you want prayers to help you as you wait, as you wait for the right one. Um, Whatever your need is this morning, we would love to help you right now while we stand and while we sing.